morning, good afternoon or good evening friends and welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And the project is to work through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And if you're here for the first time, then why not make the decision to follow us along and make the study of the Word of God part of the rhythm of your daily life. We're about 30 episodes into season three, 400 episodes roughly all in. So there is an opportunity if you want, still it's not too late to maybe go back and start at episode one and maybe listen to a couple a day for a year or so and play catch up and then complete this amazing journey together as we study our entire way through the Bible. Anyway, thank you so much for being here. I hope you're blessed by it and I'll see you at the back end just to update you and say goodbye. Bye for now. Okay, here we go. We're closing off this section. We've spent a couple of days looking at this this call of Jesus for us to be salt and light. And I've, I've just given the overview for this passage. I've called it How to Live in a Decaying World. And today is looking at Matthew 5, 14 to 16, where we're told to be light in the darkness. So that question, how do we live in a decaying world? Well, we know, we've already been told that we should be like salt. Jesus said that last time, and we unpacked what that actually meant. But here Jesus uses a second analogy, one which is very fitting, if you think about it, when it comes to the idea of the issue of darkness, because he says that we are to be a light to the world. Let me just read Matthew 5, 14 and 15 for you. You are the light of the world, A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. So we are to be a light to the world. But it also says that a city set on a hill can't be hidden. Now, does this opening phrase strike you as a little odd? Didn't Jesus say in John 8 and in other places that he was the light of the world? Now, how can he say that we are the light of the world? Which is it? Is it him or is it us? Well, let me suggest it's helpful to understand that there are two kinds of light. There is the primary source of light and there is, of course, the reflective type of light. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, that's like him saying that he is the sun, the primary light, And when he says that we are to be the light of the world, that's like he's telling us that we are to be the secondary light, the reflective light. We are like the moon in the fact that we have no light source of our own, but we simply reflect the primary source of light. And there are pictures and images in the prophetic writings where the church is described as the moon, but we'll get to that in more detail when we look at those passages in the likes of Revelation and elsewhere. But here, here he's saying he is the light and that we are the light that is reflected from him. That's what he's saying here. And by positioning his statement immediately after the teachings on the blessings, the Beatitudes, I believe that he's telling us the main way 
we will be able to reflect his light is by becoming the type of people that he's just been telling us about and discussing. By being the people blessed in the sense that has been revealed by his words in the opening part of this chapter. Because by having those characteristics that he's talked about, we will reflect his life and his light in our lives. Now, as well as saying that we are the light of the word, he also makes this side statement that a city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, obviously, a city on a hill can be seen for miles around, especially at night, especially at times of darkness. When a city sits atop a hill and all the lights are on at night, you can see that light from a great distance. In fact, you can't really hide it. So he's saying, you're the light of the world. And I believe there's a suggestion here that collectively, as Christian believers, we should be like a light, a city on a hill, and everyone should see it shine. So all around, people can see that it's there and that it's shining. Then he makes a second statement and he talks in verse 15 about lighting a lamp and putting it under a basket or a bowl. Now obviously you don't light a lamp and then put a bowl on top of it, but they did that sort of thing in those days. Let me explain what I believe he's getting at. It was very difficult to get lamps started and keep them burning in those days. So what they would do is they would get the lamp lit and then at the time when they retired for the evening and went to bed, they would take the lamp and they had a basket that was sort of made out of clay, but it was porous with slots in it. And they would put that over the light, turn it down to its minimum so that you wouldn't really see the lamp. It would still be a glow and it would be burning slightly, but it would last all night and not blow out. So they wouldn't have to go through all the difficulties of trying to get it lit again over and over again. But the point that Jesus is making here is you don't light a lamp and then leave it under a bowl or a bushel all the time, especially when it's dark. Rather, he's telling us in verse 15, you put a lamp out when it gets dark. When the situation is dark, you put it on a lampstand and it will give light to all the areas of the house. So he says, let your lights shine. And that, of course, is done by doing that this way. So let's think for a minute about what it means for us to be a light. We looked at what it meant to be salt. We recognized that the purpose of salt was to preserve things from corruption and decay. We also know that it gave flavor and that it can create thirst. And all of those were things for how we should live the Christian life. But what does it mean to be a light? Let's think now what light does. Well, I think that light, especially in a dark environment, does two main things for us. First of all, it tells you where you are. And secondly, it will tell you where you are going. And it will do so in such a way that you won't get lost or you won't bump into things. Now, most people up to 50 years ago probably used to live in houses with separate bathrooms, sometimes even outside bathrooms. And if you lived in a house like that, then you usually had a hall light. Now, we often have bathrooms connected to bedrooms today, so you don't have to worry about that so much. But back in those days, when people didn't have all these modern conveniences or even en suites, in fact, my own grandmother had an outside toilet. 
Anyway, in those days, if you were fortunate to have that toilet in the house, it meant you had to have a light that lit up the hall area, and it was meant to help you find your way around the house at night, particularly the bathroom. And Jesus is saying here, you need to be at one level that type of light, one that enables people to know where they are situated in the world. And if you're that type of light, then you can affect people in that they can see where they are and they can also see where they need to go. Now, if this happens, look at what he says. If you live that way, look at what he says will be the result of this. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So there seems to be some connection with what we say and what we do is the way in which we will be seen to provide that light for others. So let me ask you a question. How do we know whether anything anybody does, whether it's good works or what they say, how do we know whether it has really got anything to do with glorifying the Father in heaven? How will we know whether or not it is done for God or for not? How will we know that even about ourselves or other people's actions, how will we have the insight to know whether this is of God or not and whether it is his light that has been shone into the darkness? And the insight to that is found in just simply asking the question, is what that person doing, is what I'm doing bringing glory to God? The answer I submit to you is that any words or works need to point people toward Jesus as God's Son and Saviour. There are people out there who do good works and they may appear almost identical to other people who are doing good works for the glory of God. But there are many people who do good things but they're not motivated by Jesus Christ or their Father in heaven. They do these good things and they only do them because they want to try and show other people what good people they are. However, Jesus is saying here, I want your life to shine in such a way so that when people see your works, they don't applaud you, but they see that your good works are motivated by God and thereby you are giving glory to your Father in heaven by what you do. Now, Bible experts will tell you that this statement in this verse is in fact worded like a command. So it tells us that our motivation for doing good works should be an act of service to God. And this is all comes out of our relationship with God. What that means is the ultimate result should be that our words and our deeds glorify our Father who is in heaven. Now, let me add quickly, it's not the works by themselves that will do this, nor it is even the words we speak by themselves that will do this. Rather, our words should inspire good works, and the works you subsequently do should demonstrate those words or the words of God themselves, and vice versa. When both of these things, both of these aspects are present, only then together can ultimately God be glorified. You know, it's been said, people who only want to reflect the light of God do not brag about how bright they are. You see, God has called us not to be chandeliers for people to look at and admire, but to be the candle, the light, the flame itself, which casts light out into a dark world. 
The point again of his teaching, just like everything he said so far in his Sermon on the Mount, is to simply say that believers are not to conceal spiritual truths from a dark and decaying world. They are to communicate those truths, motivated and for the glory of God, by being salt and being light. I think it's interesting that that this teaching comes straight after the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. Because this again is a picture of Jesus presenting a picture of the kind of person who has this internal righteousness that he's been talking about all along. Not the external appearances of righteousness that some people who just want to show off to everyone what they are and how good they are. So here we are, hot on the heels of his lengthy call to develop these various Christian characteristics. And he says we are to be the kind of people who live in such a way by showing these characteristics that our lives will glorify our Father which is in heaven. I think what this all comes down to is this. If it's all about how it looks on the outside and all you care about really is you, then you're not really going to be the least bit interested or motivated to truly bring salt or light to anyone else. But if you have this internal righteousness that Jesus has been talking about in the Beatitudes, then you are going to be interested in other people. You're going to grieve for their situations when they're hurting or trapped in sins. And you're going to want to bless other people with the blessings that you have received. So in a dark, decaying world, we who know him, we who know the one who is the light of the world, we should be shining as to show people the way to him. In a worried world, we are the one who knows the one who controls all things. And we can then be in peace and we can help bring people to a point of peace when they live in a scary world. We who know him as King of Kings, the one who reigns forever and ever, we can be merciful and seek justice and righteousness because he has first shown it to us. So to put it all together, it's about being the right kind of people with the right type of attitudes and characteristics. And that's exactly what he's been talking and teaching about throughout this entire opening section of his Sermon on the Mount. The kind of people that he mentioned in the first part of this chapter are the kind of people who are and can and will be the salt and light he's been talking about all along in these verses. Let me put it like this. If I was going to try and say this all very simply, I'd just say it like this. We are called to be an influence to situations and to the people around us, to bring Jesus' presence into the lives of other people. Now, we don't have to worry about anything beyond that because at the end of the day, it's up to the Holy Spirit and the people's own response and free will as to how they react to that. I remember well the day it really hit me. I was actually listening to a speaker, a secular psychologist of all things, many years ago this was. And he made the point that he said that psychologists are trained so they can get to a point where they can influence people to help them make the right decisions. And I thought as he spoke, wait a minute, forget psychology. That's what Christians are meant to do. God has saved us and he's placed his Holy Spirit in us so that we can be a godly influence on and for other people. 
Now, I think that's the exact opposite of what's going on in the world today, certainly the case in the UK today. It seems to me the key word today is to live and let live. We're not programmed to think that way at all anymore. It's all about allowing people and all their lived experiences to be of equal value. And we are really told that we shouldn't seek to influence other people. Well, I believe if you understand this spiritual truth, if you understand just how dark and depraved and decaying this world is, and if you know Jesus Christ, then there's no option that you can just live and let live. We have to live in a way that we can introduce God's life and light and his Holy Spirit to other people so that he can produce his life in them, just like he's done for us already. We have to be. We have to be salt and light. And first of all, this has to do with who we are internally. By having these qualities mentioned here in the Beatitudes, but it also involves what we do our good works as well as our words. Now we are warned here, we were warned a few verses ago that there may be some persecution along the way, but we still have to be salt and light, for this is a very wicked and dark world, and people are lost in that darkness. You see, the problem is, if we don't do this, if we don't do as we're called, then it not only affects us, it affects them, it affects everybody else, and it affects everyone around us. It's imperative that we do this, that we do it for the Lord's sake, for the Father's sake, and for our sake, and frankly, for the whole world's sake. Let me close off by reminding you, well, let me put it this way. God says that you're to be salt and light, but he doesn't say anywhere that I notice that you're to be judge and jury. It's our job to be salt and light To speak the truth, yes, but it is only God who can convict and condemn. So I'm not suggesting in any way we become judge and jury, which it seems to me sometimes that some Christians believe that what's what we're called to do. I'm suggesting, like Jesus here, that we just strive to become salt and light. Now that means we stand up for the truth and we speak the truth of the word of God where appropriate, and that we live in such a way so that by our words and actions we can help other people see the light and glorify our Father that is in heaven. But if people need to be convicted, then we let the word of God do that. We don't do it by our actions or our unctions. One morning many years ago, in a small town in the northwest of England, At about 20 minutes to 8, the large clock in a jeweller's window stopped. It only stopped for about half an hour because the owner then came to work and got it up and running again. But because that clock did not tell the truth, for half an hour, children on their way to school stopped to play and as a result many were late for school, which meant some didn't do as well in the test that day as they should have. People who were hurrying to catch a train walked a little slower and then they missed their train. Some on their way to work thought they had more time and they stopped to have a cigarette and take a view in by the river and then they were late for work and because of that some families didn't get their bonus at the factory that week which meant in those days that some families didn't eat. So friends, stay true to the word of God and the will of God at all times and don't forget that And don't let others be led astray. And don't stop doing that even for 30 minutes. 
be salt and light, and be thankful that God the Father has given us the light, His Son, Jesus Christ, to reveal the truth to us now and every day so that we can do that. And understand that by the study of His Word and by the indwelling and prompting of the Holy Spirit, we can truly develop those correct attitudes that were described for us in the Beatitudes earlier in this chapter and be the kind of people who are pure in heart, poor in spirit, meek, not proud, so that they can stand, so that we can stand as the light of the world and that we can be the salt and add flavour into people's lives and make them thirsty for what we have. Yet at the same time, protecting and preserving them for the sin and corruption and the darkness and decay of this world. And we do that so ultimately he can be glorified. Our Father can be glorified. Our Father in heaven can be glorified through Jesus Christ, his Son, our Saviour. Okay, folks, that's it for today. That will close off that little section. I do hope you find it helpful. We'll continue next time and we'll consider what Jesus teaches about his role as the one who is the fulfillment of the law. And we'll turn to do that, well, it'll be tomorrow for me, whatever day it happens to be for you. Now it is worth, if you're enjoying and benefiting from this teaching, click on the subscribe button wherever you're receiving your podcast from, and then you shouldn't miss a single episode as they're uploaded. Monday to Friday, five days a week, and then a compilation episode put together on the sister podcast, the Living in Faith Everyday Podcast, in case you've missed an episode of the day. But if you subscribe, that shouldn't happen, of course. And also, while you're there, have a look at the episode notes page. You'll find not only a transcript each and every time for each and every podcast of what I've said, approximately, but there's also links to other ways that you can connect with the ministry and the teaching that I put out there. Everything I do, all the teaching and the Bible study I do, is copyright-free and in the public domain, and you're free with my blessing, and I trust the blessing of the Lord to use it in whatever way you want. But there we are. That's it for today. I do trust I'll see you back here tomorrow. Thank you so much for joining me, for making the decision to follow along and make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life. I do hope you're benefiting from it. And if you are, why not consider sharing a link to it so other people can make that decision too. But that's it for today. So it's bye for now. And I'll see you right back here very soon on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.